From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council and your host on Fridays. Glad to be with you and thank you for entrusting this hour of your day to us. We've got a lot to cover. Let's begin with this story. American leadership is what holds the world together. American alliances will keep us, America, safe. American values are what make us a partner that other nations want to work with. To put all that at risk, if we walk away from Ukraine, if we turn our backs on Israel, it's just not worth it. Of course, that was President Biden last night addressing the nation from the Oval Office. And this morning, the White House formally asked Congress for $105 billion in emergency funding including a little over $10.5 billion in military aid for Israel. And, of course, all of this request comes as the deadly fighting continues throughout Israel. And now it appears that an attack on Gaza is imminent. Well, freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton will join me live from Israel in just a couple of moments. And, of course, any aid to Israel must be authorized by Congress. And, of course, the bad news with that is that Congress is still currently paralyzed as the House Speaker position continues to sit vacant. Well, uh, they didn't move any closer today to fill the vacancy. House Republicans will return on Monday at 6.30 p.m. for a candidate forum, followed by uh, election process on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. All right, so it will all start all over again next week. That was Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry speaking to reporters today after Representative Jim Jordan lost a secret GOP ballot to remain the Speaker designee. Washington Times senior congressional correspondent reporter Carrie Pickett will provide an update straight from Capitol Hill a little bit later in the program. And a social media influencer was hunted, literally, by the FBI last year, and this week has been sentenced to federal prison for what crime? For making a joke on the Internet. Incredible story. I'll give you this latest example of a weaponized federal government a little bit later in the program. And despite the continued push from the left to indoctrinate children in public schools with gender confusion and all sorts of pornographic filth, concerned parents continue to stand up and fight for truth. This is not a case of heterosexual versus LGBT+, nor is this a political issue or, as many would call it, book banning. This is about the innocence and protection of our children. Well, that was Lindsay Smith. She's the chair of Moms for Liberty in Montgomery County, uh, and she testified yesterday on Capitol Hill. So we'll have her on the program in person to speak about that and the battle she's involved with. And also, we'll be speaking with Chino Valley School Board President Sonia Shaw, who is another mother who identified what was happening in her lo local school district and left the sidelines to get involved and make a difference. Well, as a reminder, before we uh, jump into everything, of course, our website is TonyPerkins.com. If you miss any portion of today's program or you want to catch previous archived programs or you just want to tap into a lot of resources, you can be sure to find it there at our website, TonyPerkins.com. And one more quick reminder, this coming Sunday night, mark it on your calendar, this coming Sunday night, Family Research Council will be having a special Stand With and Pray for Israel. We're going to be having a town hall meeting at 6 o'clock uh, Eastern Time, 6 o'clock p.m. This coming Sunday night will be hosted by Pastor Eric Estep at Village Church in Blythewood, South Carolina. Some of the guests, Michelle Bachman, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, of course, Tony Perkins, uh, Chad Conley of Faith Winds. Uh, it's going to be incredible. We want to pray with, we want to stand with Israel. So to find out more information, you can find out at prayvotestand.org slash townhall. Again, prayvotestand.org slash townhall. All right, let's jump in to our first topic for the evening. Tomorrow is going to mark the second week 
since Hamas launched its brutal terrorist attack and invasion uh, from Gaza into southern Israel, killing thousands of people and taking captive some 200-plus hostages. Well, following a very uh, intense week, the president, as you know, uh, has visited Israel this past week and has pledged U.S. military support to continue. And the Israeli military move now, it appears to be imminent, to in, go into Gaza. Joining me now for the latest update as to what's happening is Chuck Colton, who is right now in Israel. He's a freelance war reporter. Chuck, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Yes, sir. Good to see you. Well, I know it's midnight there. First of all, thank you for losing some sleep to join us and give us. What is the latest? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Uh, we've been down in the south all day. Uh, we have been staying in Jerusalem because it's just easier for in terms of bandwidth and uh, safety. Uh, but during the day, we either go to the north or to the south to interview and see what's going on in those those two areas. Uh, there, the fighting really has not stopped in the last two weeks. It's not like they just attacked on October 7th and then it's, uh, you know, nothing's happened since then. The ha Hamas terrorists and Hezbollah terrorists <clears throat> have been attacking Israel nonstop every day since then. Uh, rock, there was just a massive rocket attack in Ashdod and Ashkelon out on the coast. And that's quite a ways from Gaza. Uh, so they are still firing rockets, and they're firing them out of civilian areas. The IDF, for its part, has been uh, absolutely hammering those sites in Gaza. You understand when these terrorists set up on a roof of a building and start firing rockets off the roof of that building, the IDF then pancakes that building and takes it out. And then Hamas moves over to another building, and they do it over and over and over again. It's really unfortunate, but it, obviously every IDF soldier that we talk to says we have but one option at this point, and that is to go in and to absolutely just demolish and to dismantle the entire organization of Hamas. Now, uh, Hamas is working very hard to hide behind the civilian populace, to weaponize the, the civilians against uh, Israel and the West and to weaponize whatever aid comes in there uh, so that they can continue to fight. And today we talked to a master sergeant from the IDF with something like 17 years of service. And this guy was uh, telling us that his job is going to be to go into those tunnels under, uh, under Gaza. They said there's something like 300 miles of tunnels under there. And you can imagine how dangerous and difficult that job will be, especially knowing that there are hostages likely hidden somewhere in some of those tunnels. Uh, and so we definitely need to be praying for those guys. Wow, we really do. Chuck, thank you so much for, for that update. It's uh, uh, just a, an incredible situation, and I do want to take your words and encourage all of our viewers and listeners to take the seriousness of this time and be praying. So it appears the invasion that you just described is imminent. Any idea whatsoever in terms of timing when that may take place? Well, the IDF won't tell me when they're going to launch, and if they did, I couldn't tell you. So uh, obviously we don't want to tell bad people things they don't need to know, and that is one of the most closely guarded secrets. But I'll, I'll just say this. This is going to be a massive, absolutely massive, combined arms operation on the scale of the shock and awe campaign into Iraq in 2003. We're talking about up to a half a million troops that will likely be engaged in combat before too long. And this is not planned over a course of years or even months. This is going from a standing start just two weeks ago. The logistics alone behind this kind of an operation are absolutely mind boggling. But this is, you're talking about having to coordinate all the moving parts of aviation and armor and artillery and infantry and signal and uh, intelligence 
and figure out what targets to hit and figure out who's supposed to hit them and figure out how they're not going to shoot each other in the process. This is an absolutely unbelievable uh, undertaking that they're about to do. And they realize that the more time they spend preparing, the less time they'll have to spend fighting. This is one of those, uh, you know, things that, that allegory about George Washington sharpening his axe. Uh, the more they sharpen their axe, the less time they will have to uh, spend chopping down the tree. And so they are not rushing it. I think it's a good sign that they're not rushing it because that means that they're not acting out of their emotion or a need for vengeance, but they're very professionally putting this plan together, getting it approved, and then putting it in place. We were down in the South today in an undisclosed location very near the Gaza Strip border, and we could hear the firing of the IDF soldiers out on the firing range, practicing shooting bullets uh, and, and, you know, taking target practice, getting up to speed, because they know they're going to have to use those skills uh, for real very soon. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. While you're traveling back and forth uh, throughout the country in different places, have you been able to take a pulse in terms of how President Biden's Oval Office speech is playing in Israel? How is it being received? Well, look, uh, every Israeli is grateful for the aid that they're receiving from the United States. Uh, that That is the first thing that has to be said. Uh, having said that, most of them understand that what uh, Joe Biden did when he came over here, he did not come over here to um, encourage the Israelis to do what they need to do to dismantle Hamas. He came over here to try to put the brakes on what they need to do to dismantle Hamas. They are very unhappy about that. Uh, you know, many of them have told me uh, what President Biden did is came over here and set conditions for uh, the USAID that will would would likely make it impossible for Israel to actually dismantle Hamas for good. Uh, they basically tied one hand behind their back uh, by telling them, for example, that uh, America would not support a preemptive strike of Hezbollah, that the, the, the Israelis have got to allow up to $100 million of aid to come into Gaza for the civilian populace. But you understand that this is, the A, the same civilian populace that was dancing in the streets when they heard of the attack on October 7th, and B, uh, virtually there, there's no possible chance that this aid will not be used to uh, encourage and uh, sustain the 25,000 fighters of Hamas that will be fighting back against the IDF when they, when they go in there. Um, this is one of those things that by trying to make it more comfortable for the, for, for the terrorists, they are making it more dangerous for the IDF. And that obviously is not a good thing. Well, Chuck Holton, thank you so much for joining me live from Israel and for this incredible update that you provided. Godspeed to you and know that our prayers are with you and the people of Israel and the IDF right now. Thanks for joining thank us. Thank you very much. All right, friends, coming up, we've got a lot more twists and turns taking place in the race for the Speaker of the House to fill this vacancy. A lot's happened this week. A lot is going to happen next week. We're going to bring you the latest on all of it right after the break, so don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Well, good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your Friday host. Thank you for joining us today. Before we get to our next guest, I want to encourage you not to miss your chance to get a copy of Tony's new study guide. It's called Ephesians Keep Standing. It's now available digitally and in print. And this is, uh, is those of you who are familiar with the book of Ephesians, it's incredible. And what this study guide does, it, it really takes us through a journey of one of Paul's greatest epistles and going through it, you'll become better equipped And as it relates to standing together for both biblical truth and with one another as we enter into the days we're entering into. So we encourage you to get your copy. You can do so by going to frc.org slash Ephesians. That's frc.org slash Ephesians. Or you can simply text the word Ephesians to 677 Four two. That's again Ephesians at to six seven seven four two. All right. It's uh, been day seventeen without a speaker of the house, and again more chaos continues to unfold as all of this takes place. Uh, let's pull up clip four, please. We need to come together and figure out who our speaker is going to be. I'm going to work as hard as I can to help that individual so that we can go help the American people. Of course, that was Representative Jim Jordan as he lost today in a bid by secret ballot within the GOP conference to remain the speaker-designee for the conference. So the question now is, where does all of this go from here? It's been a really long week. It's going to be a long weekend, and Congress will be back on Monday evening to begin the process all over again. And we've got the war in Israel taking place. We have uh, the the funding is going to expire for the government here in just a, a few days, and Congress remains fractured. So where do we go from here? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Carrie Pickett, senior congressional reporter with the Washington Times. Carrie, thank you for joining us. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. 
Well, you All know, right, well, let's I got to tell you. Yeah, what's yes, happening? Please. Give us the latest. Well, it appears now that, as you mentioned, since uh, Congressman Jordan, uh, he is uh, no longer going to be the speaker designate after 20 Five uh, Republicans said that, uh, you know, look, we are not going to support you. That is more uh, uh, Republicans than, than last time uh, who weren't going to support him. So as you mentioned, uh, over in conference, there was a secret ballot that said that, look, we are, are going to move on. We, we need to have a reset. Uh, the, uh, of course, the uh, temporary speaker, uh, McHenry, he uh, said, look, we're going to have a reset. And uh, we're going to have a candidate forum on Monday. And uh, all of a sudden, we have a number of lawmakers who are jumping into this uh, new speaker's race. This includes Congressman Jody Arrington of Texas, uh, Congressman uh, Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma. Um, and that some of these people are, are just considering that I don't have it off the top of my head. So they're either considering or they actually have jumped in. Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida, Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana, Congressman Pete Sessions of Texas. Uh, these are just a number of, uh, of uh, Republicans who are either considering or who actually have jumped in to the speaker's race right now. Others are, are jumping in as we speak right now. All right. So with all of this, there were, there were, Congress will return on Monday. They will uh, mm -hmm. go in and all these who are uh, considering running will be able to, there will be a forum for them to speak their piece. Then there'll be votes. How will the voting process take place to come down to determine who the next designee will be? Well, uh, what they'll have, as, 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 as you've gone through this whole process yourself, Congressman, but uh, they're going to just have a, uh, of course, they're going to present themselves to the conference, and then there's going to have a round of, of a ballots, a round of, 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 a, of a secret ballots, and then they will just continue to have ballot upon ballot upon ballot until there's just an elimination round, until we get down to a, a speaker designee, and then um, the Republicans hope to have a floor vote on Tuesday, but that, you know, this is subject to change, uh, like, like anything else. Everything's extraordinarily fluid right now, but uh, that is the current schedule. Okay, and so I expect it will happen now. I, I, let, me, let me give you a thought, and you respond, uh, barking up the right tree sure. or not. At this point, within a fractured GOP, both sides have lost. Uh, McCarthy mm -hmm. has lost, uh, Scalise has lost, now Jim Jordan has lost. So those both sides supporting uh, these different candidates, everybody's lost, which means both sides have won. So now we have a new slate. Is this a time that uh, the GOP will get unified? Uh, this is probably the best time for the GOP to be unified. I mean, look, uh, Speaker, or former Speaker McCarthy, he has already thrown his weight behind one candidate in particular, that is uh, Tom Emmer, the uh, the conference's whip, uh, and he's of uh, Minnesota. He he uh, previously was the head of the NRCC. And uh, look, we'll see where that goes. Could that be helpful to Mr. Emmer? Maybe. Well, you know, it could also hurt Mr. Emmer as well. There's a number of people who didn't like Mr. McCarthy. Uh, but then I noticed, I have to tell you, uh, Congressman, that there that like the that the current slate of candidates, you know, many of them are very new to Congress. They don't have a lot of years uh, in uh, up on Capitol Hill. And I mentioned that to a, a lawmaker. I said, "Wow, you know, Tom Emmer came to Capitol Hill, you know, around 2014, um, and that's like actually considered probably maybe the oldest uh, among a lot of the lawmakers in terms of." Uh, you know, experience up on Capitol Hill. And then you have Byron Donalds. I think he's in his second term here or so. And, you know, and, he, and he's very popular among a lot of his colleagues. But then, of course, you have the kind of stodginess of a lot of lawmakers who have a kind of, it's not your turn yet. You're kind of jumping ahead. But he's very popular. So, but some people will say, but you know what? Being around here for too long, you kind of risk getting a lot of people angry at you Absolutely. and next 
and then next thing you know, you're you're kind of in a Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise, McCarthy situation where uh, next thing you know, you have too many people angry at you and then you have a lot of votes that are not coming your way. So it can kind of work both ways. Carrie Pickett with The Washington Times, thank you so much for this update. A lot going on. We're very grateful for you joining us on Washington Watch. All right, friends, coming up after the break, a person is going to federal prison for telling a joke. And that's no joke. Stay tuned. We'll give you all the details right after this break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss, and an honor to be with you. All right, the next story, friends, it's literally extremely difficult to believe that this is actually taking place. In fact, we around here, we, we did some fact-checking to make sure that there was not something behind the story that we were missing. And to the best of our knowledge, we're bringing you this story because it appears to be what it appears to be, which is an individual, Douglas Mackey, uh, he's a designer of memes and jokes and satire. He is literally now on his way to federal prison for seven months for making a meme, a joke, about Hillary Clinton supporters voting by text. Text. Everybody knows you can't text a vote. It was a joke. Before that, he is—he's uh, been charged as some degree of election interference and finds his uh, sentence now uh, seven months of federal prison time. It's just absolutely incredible that this type of thing is going on. Or have we entered a phase where even telling a joke is a crime if that joke is not funny to those who? are in power. Well, joining me now to discuss this latest example of uh, federal government being weaponized is John Dawkins. He's a former acting assistant attorney general for civil rights at the U.S. Department of Justice. And his role at that time, he did oversight over cases exactly like this. So, John, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to have you. It's great to be with you, Congressman. All right, listen, before we get into the details, let me just ask you up front, is there any part of this story that I'm missing? Uh, There's one part which makes it even a little bit worse, which is that the criminal complaint that was used to arrest Mr. Mackey also included allegations that he had 
said that if Hillary Clinton was elected, that she would uh, get the U.S. involved in wars and have our daughters fighting in those wars, draft our daughters along with our sons, uh, which seemed like a purely political statement. But apparently the government, the Biden Justice Department, thought that that was uh, in some way criminal or wrong as well, which, again, is, is, is very concerning to people who are concerned about free speech. All right. There's so much about this that's concerning to me. Yeah, you just mentioned free speech. So let me ask you, is this a free speech case or is this a federal government being weaponized to go after political opponents case or some mixture of both? What is at stake here? What is, what is this case really all about? Well, well, Congressman, it's both free speech and the weaponization of the Justice Department. Uh, what has happened here, the, the Posting a meme, and especially a meme that's clearly um, satire, the, you posted it up on the screen, uh, it has someone with a MAGA hat uh, who is uh, advancing this meme. Um, it, it's, it's not covered by the statute which was used to convict this man, uh, Mr. Mackey. The statute that was used is the uh, Federal Civil Rights Conspiracy Statute. It's also known as the Ku Klux Klan Act. It's from 1871. And it was intended to protect former slaves uh, who were trying to exercise civil rights, like being able to vote and other rights, um, and who were subject to lynching and beating and, and threats of, of that ilk. It certainly wasn't intended to punish someone for uh, posting a meme. But what's happened here is we've got uh, the Biden uh, Justice Department um, and people who, frankly, are uh, 2016 election deniers who don't want to admit that President Trump won that election, casting about to try to criminalize what has always been, frankly, part of the rough and tumble of politics. Well, exactly. And, you know, it just appears to me that this is such an enormous stretch to call this meme, this joke, election interference. Who in the world believes that you can actually vote by texting? I mean, really, and for him just to kind of uh, poke fun, mock, if you will, uh, Hillary Clinton supporters by saying, why don't y'all just try voting by texting? How, how much of a stretch is it to go from that joke to all of a sudden calling this election interference? Exactly. Um, and the government presented no evidence that any person uh, was denied the right to vote or was taken in by this, uh, that there were people who tried texting the line. But there is no evidence whatsoever that anyone failed to vote because of this meme. Uh, one other point that I think is very important here, the government brought this criminal uh, trial in Brooklyn, which is a very uh, democratic, heavily democratic uh, uh, district. Um, their position is they can bring criminal charges, criminal cases against people in any district where a meme uh, was viewed. And what that means here is that, uh, in this case, none of the alleged conspirators lived in Brooklyn. None of the activities that they were alleged to have engaged in took place in Brooklyn. But the suit was brought there because uh, the government apparently thought it could find a favorable jury. So are we going to have Democrats... Um, dragging people from, oh, say, Florida uh, and indicting them in San Francisco because they think they posted a meme and that's a better place for the lawsuit. And Republicans doing the same to people who are from New York City, trying them down in Texas. It's, it's, it's kind of the worst form of, uh, of forum shopping, of, of picking a location that's very favorable uh, to your case, to the criminal case, and very unfavorable to a defendant. John Dawkins, thank you so much for joining us. Unbelievable story. Just unimaginable that this ha is happening. We'll keep a pulse on it going forward. Thanks for joining us on Washington Watch. All right, friends, coming up after the break, there's much more news related to parental rights and parents being involved in what's happening in their children's school. Got a couple of guests that you don't want to miss. We'll get to it right after the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. All right, welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. Great to be with you, and thank you so much for joining us. All right, before we get to our next guest, uh, Washington Watch needs your help. We really need your help with this. We'd, we'd like to know where uh, we are putting our efforts and energy in promoting Washington Watch, where those uh, are having the greatest impact. So what we'd like from you is for you to let us know how you watch or listen to Washington Watch uh, that will be extremely helpful to us. You can uh, help us by simply texting the word poll, P-O-L-L. Text poll to 67742, and we will send you a list of different ways that you can listen or tune into the program. And if you'll just let us know which one of those you actually used, it will help us tremendously. Again, text the word poll to 67742. Now, for those of you who are not texters, which I know there are a few of you probably out there like that, you can participate as well. You can simply go to the website TonyPerkins.com and where you see resources, uh, go in the resource section there at TonyPerkins.com and you can from there let us know the ways that you access this program. It would be most helpful. So thank you in advance for your help. Okay, yesterday a congressional hearing took place that, quite frankly, probably should have been rated R or worse for those who attended or who watched or participated in one way or another. And no, Congress was not discussing the latest obscenity laws related to public airwaves. Rather, it was the House Education Subcommittee on Elementary and Secondary Education holding a hearing on the use of pornographic and age-inappropriate material that's being used in school classrooms and libraries. And of course, 
Democrat members of the subcommittee accused these concerned parents and experts as people trying to censor or to ban books. These censorship laws are being enacted by extreme mega politicians under the pretext of parental rights, when in reality, it's a coordinated and apparently well-funded vocal minority of parents and conservative organizations pushing their personal agenda on others. Wow. Wow. That was Democrat Congresswoman Suzanne uh, Bonamici, who is the ranking member of the subcommittee. How in the world did we reach a point where Democratic politicians and left-wing nonprofit organizations have made uh, the effort to stockpile school libraries with pornographic material, and this has become one of the Democrats' top priorities. How did we get here? Well, joining me now from the road and by phone to discuss this is Lindsey Smith, uh, who is actually the one who testified yesterday before Congress. She is the chapter chair for the Montgomery County chapter of Moms for Liberty Lindsay, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Hey, thanks for having me, and sorry that I'm on the road. I'm headed to a baseball tournament with my son. Well, good for you. I hope the good guys win that tournament, so uh, cheer them on for us. Listen, let's start by addressing the left's framing, if you will, of this whole issue, which we heard from just a few moments ago, uh, where they're trying to accuse you and others of this whole effort to just simply ban books, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I think it's, I honestly started laughing when she said that yesterday, if I'm honest, because they, she used the two-year term, like all this started two, three years ago. Well, two, three years ago is when COVID hit and parents started to hear what was going on in the classrooms and started to see stuff that was happening in the schools. And that's why two to three years ago, all this stuff started coming out because parents were hearing things that did not make sense to them, that these kids were being taught, that these kids were being read. And so when you start, parents start hearing that, you start asking questions. And the more you start asking questions, the more you go down these rabbit trails of all the stuff that you start seeing in classrooms. And in Montgomery County's case, we have a whole curriculum apparently on it. Um, And it's not just a media library book that people want to talk about. So book banning, I would say far from it. Um, I'm just a mom who's not happy with the the stuff being taught right now. And and not only are you not happy with it being taught, you're stepping up to the plate and you're doing something about it. And, Lindsay, that type of courage inspires courage in other people. And so thank you so much for taking a stand. Let me ask you this. In terms of the hearing yesterday, hearing all that was said, the questions that were asked, uh, tell us what stood out to you. Uh, what what was kind of the, uh, the the big takeaway that you went home with a better understanding, perhaps, of the battle we're facing? Yeah, to be honest, I was telling my husband literally when I got home, I was like, I understand why nothing gets done in D.C. Because you have these two parties that are completely on opposite polar spectrums. You think that sexual content in a book in a classroom would be a big ordeal to anybody, but no, the Democrats, I'm a book banner, and I'm just trying to ban books from classrooms that they can literally go down to their public library, and I can find all these books in the public library. So it's not that these books are not accessible to kids. It's that we don't want them in an education setting, and they should never have been in the education setting in the first place. Um, and yeah. just <laughs> the banter between people, I was just like, what happened to the kids' innocence here? Yeah, and I was uh, sorry for interrupting, but I was just going to add, these books and what's in them would be considered illegal. It would be uh, a violation of obscenity laws were it taking place anywhere else. And yet there is a pass when it comes to education for obscenity laws. I mean, that's at least the appearance that, that I'm getting, and I believe many parents like you likewise are believing why does the law not apply to the schools yes i've asked that question and nobody can answer me that question they always throw it back at health science or health education and to be fair we all have health education we all had to learn about sexual stuff um we didn't need these books to tell us how to do stuff and anatomy and physiology we could use other textbooks 
Um, the other favorite quote they like to do is, oh, everybody should see themselves in the book. Well, I don't know any three- or four-year-olds that are, like, a drag queen. I, I just don't. So um, I don't know why a three- or four-year-old has a drag queen book in the education system. Um, gender queer is another one. Like, why is a 14-, 13-year-old need to figure that out um, strapped on uh, sex toy? Like, that makes no sense to this mom. And the fact that we might as well let our kids get tattoos and all this other stuff at this point if we're going to clearly open the door for all the sexual stuff that we're allowing. Absolutely. Well, Lindsay Smith from Moms for Liberty, I again want to say thank you so much for testifying yesterday at the hearing uh, and in the midst of your busy schedule and a baseball tournament right now of great importance to you and your family for taking time to join us the, today on Washington Watch. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. All right, we want to continue this discussion on parental rights in education. And you may remember uh, last summer when I told you about a Southern California school district that enacted a new policy that would require schools to notify parents if their child at school uh, changes uh, sexual identity or or they uh, come say they want to be transgender. And under the policy, schools in the Chino Valley United School District would be required to inform parents if a student wanted to use a name or a pronoun that was different from what was on their birth certificate or their official records, or if their child wanted to use a different bathroom. Uh, well, yesterday, yesterday, a Superior Court judge ruled against this common sense policy. This judge granted an injunction against the school policy, uh, saying that it's unconstitutional. So it's unconstitutional to inform parents as to what their child is doing at school. Uh, phenomenal. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Sonia Shaw. She's the president of the Chino Valley United School District Board. Sonia, welcome back to Washington Watch. We uh, really enjoyed so much having you at the Pray Vote Stand Summit last month and uh, your courageous stand. It's great to see you again. Yeah, great to see you, Jody. It was a blessing to be with you guys as well. I always appreciate everything that you guys do. Well, we are grateful for people like you. Let's jump into this decision that came out yesterday. It's a temporary injunction uh, that, that uh, is taking place. But give me your reaction to yesterday's decision. Absolutely. I mean, initially, initially, you're kind of disappointed, but not surprised. We knew this is going to be a long battle. Um, of course, you want those little wins. But I also feel like, you know, God's exposing these things to more and more people on how the government literally is overreaching and deciding when parents have a right and when they don't. So to me, yesterday was just the beginning of the process. So I'm very hopeful in the long haul. And I know in the long haul, we're going to stay committed and we are going to continue to fight for parental rights and what is right. Yeah, and that's a that's a great point there, Sonia. And there's a lot going on. Look, as American citizens, we all have rights. But what is taking place here, it seems to me, and I want you to explain this to me better, but it seems like the judge is granting student privacy over parental rights, that, that one takes precedent over the others. And in this case, the parents have to be, uh, they take a back seat, quite frankly. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is the judge said he didn't want to touch privacy. He was actually going more on the fact that um, this policy was discriminatory, which we don't believe so, because in a long history of school boards all over California, there is organizations that, um, you know, they recommend certain policies to the school board, which included the one that we had previously that kept secrets from parents. So I find it very interesting that they're allowed to have these kind of policies directed towards that, but we're not allowed to have the policies that say, hey, we're building back trust. We don't agree with those policies that were previously adopted, and we're going to build the trust and have transparency on all the issues. We're not going to pick and choose as the government did. And parents, we're bringing you back in the picture because it's obvious that our attorney general is very adamant that when you drop your kids off at school, he has a choice and a right to know what you guys have a right to. And, you know, 
82% of parents and and I would say voters in California, according to certain sur surveys, wouldn't agree that we lose our rights at the at the public school gates. That is absolutely insane. I've never spoke to a parent till this day that says when I drop my kid off, I expect the school to keep secrets from me. That's just not the reality. No, it's not the reality at all. And uh, parents all across America are totally on board with you and the battle that you have with this. It, it seems to actually go a step further in this that not only does the government seem to want to give preference over the students' privacy over parents, but it seems as though the government is wanting to step into the role of parents and take over that position. Is that uh, your sense as well, that this is government pushing parents out of the way and government becoming the uh, overseer of the child? Jody, I couldn't agree with you more. It absolutely is them trying to step in and say, hey, parents, we got it from here. It's our it's our right, which we all know it's not, to parent your child from this point on. I think that's absolutely insane because at the end of the day, the parents have the constitutional and fundamental right to the upbringing of their child. And I think the school, um, I wouldn't even say schools. I think that, you know, our attorney general is forgetting that. And I think it's really sad that they're wasting time um, and our taxpayer money to fight us against what we have a right to. Um, I, I think that the government... Honestly, the, the bigger government, our state, local elected officials and appointed are overstepping their reach. We have local control for a reason. Why is it that we're not breaking a law and yet they're stepping in and telling us, no, you can't? Because all we're trying to do is bring the parents back into the picture. We think that that is so extremely important, especially in decisions like this that a child is making in their lives. Absolutely, and with especially, too, with the breakdown of the family that we have, we need to be encouraging parents to mm -hmm. step in more involvement with their with their children. All right, we knew back last, uh, goodness, probably July, that this uh, policy was far from over, that the battle was going to keep going on and on and on. So uh, your opinion with the decision from yesterday, uh, what's next? What, what, where do we go from here? As it stands, um, obviously, we're going to continue to fight. We are going to seek our attorney's um, you know, advice and what to do next. But from what I hear next is to do an appeal and we'll continue the process. Um, we should be able to have that appointment in February to give us a date for a trial, because ultimately, I think what's going to happen when this goes to trial in front of a jury that's where we will get our big win because we are not breaking any laws and we can go back to the constitution again you know the 14th amendment is very clear and parents know that they do have a right according to the constitution so until we get in front of the jury and present all the facts i think we're just going to have to keep pushing through and keep you know encouraging the public to realize this is the state that we're in this is not okay this is not healthy and we need to bring awareness to that I think by awareness, you're also bringing families in closer because the parents are going to know that there is some kind of blockage there. And I know I've talked talk to many parents and they're saying they're bringing their children in closer, having more in-depth conversations about what's going on in the, uh, in the classroom. And I think that's beautiful. That's exactly what should be happening. So it is bringing people in together. And that's where I find the hope in all of this. Well, Sonia Shaw, thank you so much. You know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And the, the, the fact that a judge would say that the policy is unconstitutional for parents to be informed and involved is just mind boggling. I want to thank you for coming on the program. I want to thank you for standing up in this battle and for continuing this battle. Sonia, it's so important. You were someone who saw a need for to become a positive influence. You stepped up the plate. Now you're the school board chair and you're doing a phenomenal job. Thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. I appreciate you, Jody. Thank you so much for the encouragement. You're very welcome. All right, friends, that wraps up another edition and another week of Washington Watch. We've got so much news happening. Please be prayerful uh, with your church family over this weekend. Have a good, safe weekend. God bless you. We'll see you next week here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. 
Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 